Uh, I want to go ahead and, and start and welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Dean Hebel. I'm the executive director of 10 at the Top, and we are pleased to be uh, hosting this virtual workshop uh, as part of our Beyond the, the Shield series. Um, we started the uh, safe, uh, Creating a Safer Upstate initiative about a little over two years ago. The first year was a discovery committee that looked at uh, specific issues and opportunities in the upstate in terms of, of creating a culture that values uh, all residents, uh, law enforcement and our, our communities equally. And uh, from that, we uh, have done a, a, a good bit of work um, trying to build on that culture of, of of uh, collective value in the region. And one of the, one of the ways we have done that is through a series of virtual workshops um, that started in 2021 with four sessions uh, where we specifically looked at different issues related to policing. And uh, all of those are still available on our website. Justine Allen will put a link uh, to our uh, YouTube channel that has those videos. And then uh, we have continued the series this year with different topics uh, related to uh, different elements of policing. And uh, today, of course, our, our topic is uh, victim advocacy. Uh, this is an area that I think often gets overlooked uh, in a lot of, of the, the conversations as it relates to uh, creating a community uh, where everyone is valued and that is safe for all residents uh, and also misunderstood. And so I've already learned just in our pre-call uh, earlier uh, last week uh, from our panelists uh, quite a bit, and I am very excited about what we will learn uh, from them today. I did want to mention before I turn it over to Chief Hamby that uh, we will have one more virtual workshop uh, before the end of the year. Um, the fourth one, and we did this last year, uh, will be uh, unlike the other, other three that are very topic specific, this will be an opportunity, more of an open dialogue uh, for people to engage with uh, our law enforcement officials about issues of questions or concerns. You know, one of the things that came out of the discovery committee was really to make sure that we have a um, culture of transparency. And uh, our law enforcement officers in the upstate, if you watch the different videos and things have been very candid in answering questions. And the one last year when we did the open forum was just tremendous. And so I'm excited. We will do that as an evening session, probably sometime in late November or early December. And we will be sending out more information about that. So please uh, be on the outlook for that information uh, in the next few weeks, and we'll get that on the calendar. So um, with, with no further um, delay, I'm going to turn over this session to Chief Matt Hamby, the chief of police from the city of Greer. Chief Hamby has been a great leader uh, for all of these sessions, um, providing uh, insight and helping us with getting uh, uh, panelists and also serving kind of as the moderator. Uh, we also have uh, Keisha Nelson from Michelin and Jim Shu from uh, McClendon. 
Jim, I messed up. Um, Marsha McLennan uh, Agency, who uh, are uh, also community leaders who will help with facilitating questions at the end of, of the session. So um, uh, Keisha has already put a notice in chat if you have any questions uh, and, and they will help with facilitating that at the end. So with that, uh, Chief Hamby, I'm going to turn it over to you. And again, thank you for all your great work as a, a partner in this effort. Thank you so much, Dean. I appreciate the, again, one, once more, the opportunity to um, participate in the Safer Upstate Initiative Beyond the Shield uh, Zoom panel discussions. Um, as, as Dean said, this is really a an opportunity for law enforcement to, to open up the, the opportunity to um, kind of look behind the scenes on how we operate um, here in the criminal justice system, but more specifically in the law enforcement arena. Um, <clears throat> we've had quite a few uh, Zoom panels over the last couple of years, and some of the topics that we have discussed are use of force, recruiting, retention and training in law enforcement, use of technology in law enforcement, use of analytics in policing, community outreach. And as Dean mentioned, we had uh, one uh, discussion that was committed just to an open forum uh, format where we fielded questions from, from those attendees uh, who had uh, a need for clarification on a lot of things regarding law enforcement. So today, the topic that we will discuss is victim advocacy. Uh, which is a very important um, part of law enforcement that you might not hear much about. Uh, but we have some uh, what I consider heroes that are that are a part of our mission in law enforcement that uh, play a big role in our success. So we do have two great uh, panelists who are here today to join us. Um, before I get into introducing them, uh, I want to just discuss sort of the the selection process on our panelists. We have uh, if you want to group them together, we sort of have two different types of victim advocates that that are that exist out here uh, to help us in what we uh, do as in law enforcement. Now, one of them uh, comes sort of uh, mandated by our state constitution in our um, uh, victim of rights bill, so that does create a uh, uh, government-provided victim uh, uh, advocate. So we have uh, with us uh, Rita Weirborn, excuse me, I apologize for messing your name up, Rita, but I'll introduce them in just a minute more formally. But also another realm of victim advocates that we have are those who are from nonprofits. So again, we have a, a person representing uh, that uh, arena, and that'll be uh, Tricia Ravenhorse. So before we get going, I want to make sure I do give a, a, a semi-adequate, at least, introduction to our two speakers. But what I'm going to ask them to do is just sort of go over uh, to describe their roles in the criminal justice system and what their services do for victims of crime. So I'll first uh, introduce um, Rita. Rita has worked in the human service field for over 20 years, and as a victim advocate, for 15 years. Rita began her career years ago as a victim advocate in Greenwood, South Carolina with the South Carolina Legal Services and Meg's House. Later, she worked for the 13th Circuit Solicitor's Office and Safe Harbor. 
in other victim assistance roles. Rita currently serves as a victim advocate with the Greenville Police Department. She is a nationally accredited uh, advocate with a specialty as a domestic violence intervention specialist. She is a graduate of Piedmont Technical College and USC Upstate. And I will go ahead and uh, before I ask Rita to start, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce and give a bio for uh, Tricia as well. Uh, Patricia Ravenhorst Esquire is the Director and Immigration Attorney of the South Carolina Immigration Victims Network, which is a program of the South Carolina Victim Assistance Network, SCVAN. Her work with the Immigrant Victims Network is dedicated to ensuring meaningful access to justice for immigrants, victims of crime throughout South Carolina. Ms. Ravenhorst demonstrates her passion for the need of immigrant victims of crime by uh, frequently speaking to immigrant groups, victim service providers, judges and law enforcement officials regarding the rights of immigrant victims of human trafficking, domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. Prior to joining SC Van, Ms. Ravenhorst practiced law in the areas of immigration, employment, and general litigation with Weich, Burgess, Freeman, and Parham in Greenville, South Carolina. Her work experience also includes an internship with the South African Secretariat for Safety and Security in Pretoria, South Africa, where she worked collaboratively with the South African Police Service and the Security Officers Board to propose revisions to South Africa's laws and regulations concerning South Africa's private security industry. She graduated summa cum laude from Florida State University with a degree in inter international affairs emphasizing Latin American studies. She then graduated from Duke University with both her law degree and master's degree in political science with a certification in Latin American studies. Ms. Ravenhorst is licensed to practice before both federal and state courts in South Carolina and is an active member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association and the South Carolina Access to Justice Commission's Language Access Committee. In honor of her work with immigrant victims and her advocacy for immigrant rights, Ms. Ravenhorst was honored to receive the Greenville County Guardian Ad Litem Program's Ethel M. Piper Angel Award to be named as one of Greenville's best and brightest under 35 by the Greenville Magazine and is one of Greenville's most beautiful women by Greenville's Talk Magazine to receive the Riley Institute Diversity Leadership Award for International Diversity and the South Carolina Lawyers Weekly Leadership in Law Award and to be a member of the 2012 class of, of the Liberty Fellowship. She is currently the president of the FSU Flying High Circus Alumni Association and is a former board member of the Center for Developmental Services Safe Harbor, the Greenville Chamber of Commerce's Leadership Development Board, Greenville Sisters Cities International, and Greenville's uh, Alianza Hispana, formerly the Alliance for Collaboration with the Hispanic Community. So uh, as you can tell, we have some very qualified uh, panelists to join us today. Uh, I would like to start with Rita and let Rita sort of go over um, her role for serving victims of crime uh, in our area and, and how 
her role fits in with the overall picture of criminal justice services. Rita. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, like Chief Hambly said, my name is Rita Warebond and I am currently a victim advocate at the Greenville City Police Department. And I just wanna tell you a little bit about what we do um, and the job that I really enjoy. So I'm gonna share my screen real quick, if I know what I'm doing, I'm not a technology person, so let's just see if this works out. Uh, no, yeah. Okay, well, it's not working. So, um, yeah, can you? Okay. All right. So, what we do here at the Greenville City Police Department is we have a victim services unit that consists of two victim advocates. And oftentimes people ask us, well, what is a victim advocate? What do y'all do? Do y'all just hold hands or whatever? No, we do so, so, so much more than that. A victim advocate is a person who is trained to be there to support crime victims during their time of very emotional time, whether they're scared or their abuser is present, that's what we um, are there for. And where do you find victim advocates? You find them in law enforcement, you find them at the solicitor's office, at shelters, um, any nonprofit agency that provides services to victims of crime. Now, like I said, people think we just hold hands, but we are required to have 12 hours a year of continuing education so that we can stay up on the mm -hmm. latest and the greatest in the field. And victim advocates are required to adhere, adhere to the um, victim, Victims' Bill of Rights. Um, I hate my presentation is not up, but anyway, victims have a right to be treated with respect, with dignity. They have a right to be notified of any and all hearings. Thank you, Tricia. <laughs> okay. They have the right to be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity. Be free from intimidation or harm throughout the criminal and juvenile justice system. Now, we think oftentimes that, oh, that's just common, but it's not. When we have victims of crime, they oftentimes get overlooked because the system is so centered around making sure that the defendant's rights are protected that they really forget about the victim. So as a victim advocate, we just wanna make sure that when they go into an office that somebody acknowledges them, somebody hears them out, somebody makes sure that their questions are answered and that they are notified before they move on with their cases. Because victims have a right to be informed about any and all criminal proceedings. They have a right to talk to the prosecutor about what they would like to see happen with the case. And oftentimes they don't know that. They think that they are just supposed to accept whatever is going to be, but they have a right to say what they would like to see happen. And they have a right to be present at bond hearings. And believe it or not, being present at bond hearing is a really big thing, especially with domestic violence cases. Because oftentimes a judge doesn't know whether or not a victim is afraid of that perpetrator or not. But if they're at that bond hearing and they can say, look, I'm afraid, then that means there's gonna be a no contact order for them to not contact the victim directly or indirectly. And that victim can stay safe until the court date. 
and they have a right to have re reasonable access to any documents um, that's related to their case. Oftentimes they think they can't know anything, but they can have a copy of the bond paperwork because oftentimes they're like, well, I don't know what the judge said, but if they get a copy, then they are well aware of what is going on with their case. And the last one is just a little bit weird. It says a reasonable prompt and final conclusion. Of course, the justice system is not prompt. So we talk in six months to a year before they actually get some resolution um, to their case. The services that we offer at GPD. Oftentimes people think, okay, they're gonna, they're gonna send them a resource. They're just going to call the people and let them know that they're available and that's it. Um, that's not what we do here. We do way more. We do crisis intervention. Oftentimes we get victims that call us right away. Hey, I just was a victim of domestic violence. I had to leave my home. I have my two kids and I have no place to go. What am I supposed to do? And the one thing that we will do for them is we will try to connect them to shelter. We try to connect them to safe harbor. But because that, um, sometimes they don't have room right away, then we have to reach out to other resources and put them in a hotel for a couple of nights until we can get them connected with the service. And we also provide victimization education. What that means is, I just use DV because we do a lot um, of domestic violence, but we let them know we talk to them about the cycle of abuse. We let them know that it's not their fault. We educate them on what they're going through so that they can understand that they, just because you're a victim doesn't mean that you deserve it and that you didn't cause it. And so many times victims have to understand that because they come to us where a perpetrator has told them it's your fault. The only reason I did this is because you acted this way. So. Then we get victims who call and say, you know what, I'm not ready to go, but I know at some point I'm going to have to leave because the abuse just keeps getting worse. So what we do with them is we sit down and we do safety planning with them. It's important that they plan to leave because one of the most dangerous times in a domestic violence situation is right when they're getting ready to break away and leave that perpetrator. So we tell them, okay, do you work? We have to ask questions like that. Do you work? Do you have a place to go when you leave? So what we will do is teach them how to set aside a little bit of money so that the perpetrator doesn't realize that they're taking away whether it's extra 20 here, 20 there, to pack a bag, to get your medicine, your extra set of keys, clothing for your children so that when you're ready to go, then you can go safely and not be rummaging. Oh my goodness, I can't find my important documents. I can't find my car keys. So we help them with that. And we also connect victims to community resources. Like I said, we do safe harbor for shelter. We refer them for counseling. We connect them to the solicitor's office and not just to the solicitor's office, but the actual person that they're going to be working with at that office. Because it matters to them when they can connect the person with a face and with a name and not just, hey, take this number and you just call over there and see who's assigned to your case. We also keep them informed of any and all upcoming court dates, times and locations. And when I say them, that's any victim. Whether you're an assault and battery victim, if you're having a court case coming up at municipal court, we make sure that you know what time to be there, 
that you know exactly where to go and that we also provide you with a phone number to call so that you can let them know if you're going to be running late or if for some odd reason you can't make it. And we explain the steps in the judicial process tool. Victims of any type are very intimidated when they have been victims of crime and now they have to face this whole process. So we sit down with them and we explain to them step by step what's going to happen next so that they are clear and they're not wondering like, oh my gosh, is somebody gonna call me? Or, cause usually it takes the solicitor's office six months to a year to resolve a case, but we let them know that ahead of time. So they're not thinking in one month that they're gonna go to court and have this taken care of. And we attend parole hearings. We make sure that every single time a case where a person is in jail and face parole that we're always present, whether we're in person or whether we do it by Zoom, because we want the victim to know that we still care. Just because it's over doesn't mean that now they're just the number, okay, you just go to site. We wanna be there for them at any time that we can. So we make sure that we attend those hearings. We also intervene on landlord and employer issues. Now, we oftentimes have victims who can't go to work because they're bruised up from an assault or from a domestic, or they've been shot and they can't go to work. And so we communicate with their employer and let them know that they were a victim of a crime. And then most employers we've had very good luck with, they give them a couple of days off and tell them, you know what, just come back when you're in a better place and you can, we're gonna hold your job. Because the last thing they need to be worried about is whether I'm gonna, I've just been a victim of crime. So now I have to worry about whether or not I'm gonna have my job when I come back. And we just make sure that we can secure that for them. Then we also assist with various applications for services through the through SCVAN, DCVC, and other services. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But yes, we do provide the emotional support and we do respond to crime scenes as requested. And we are big collaborators with other agencies because we're only one piece of the puzzle. It takes everybody doing their part and being willing to help in order to make this a success for the victims. And just some of the crimes that we deal with, we have murder victims, attempted murder, burglaries, armed robbery, DVs, sexual assault, assault and batteries, pointing and presenting, child abuse, fraud, DUI with great bodily injury or death, runaways and missing persons. Now, most people know that we're gonna be there for a family who has lost a loved one to murder or to gun violence or things of that nature. We're, we're gonna be there from start to finish. We get these reports every morning. We call these victims, we review the situation with them and we make sure that they have every resource that they need and they have access to any services that they need. And if we can't provide that service, we're gonna make sure that we connect them with other community resources in order to serve them. Now, a lot of things that people don't know is we do runaways as well. We recently had um, a case where a child ran away 13 times in two months. And the mom was just at her wits end. And at that point, mom is our victim because she's reaching out to all the systems, to DJJ, to family court. She's just trying to get help for this child. So she connected with us and we actually walk with her 
through the process. We attended the meeting to decide what to do with that child. And now that child is actually in a group home getting the help that she needs, returning to school and wants to be a nail tech. So we're not just, if you've had something horrible happen to you, we're there regardless um, of what type of crime that you're dealing with. <clears throat> just a few of the services, we reach out to SC Van, which is the South Carolina Victims Assistance Network, and their services are very beneficial to us. They allow us to put victims in hotels if um, we don't have a bed at the shelter for them. We can also buy them groceries if they're starting over, if the abuser has moved out and this victim doesn't really work and she's starting over, then we can help. Um, with the groceries through SC Van. We also, um, we also provide or help with transitional housing. SC Van has an amazing transitional housing program where we can apply for victims to get the first month's rent paid as well as the security deposit and sometimes deposit on the utilities. So we want them to be able to start over and be effective at starting over. Then we seek services through Department of Crime Victims Compensation. And that's also a very beneficial service um, to victims who have lost family members um, to crime. And one of the main things that we applied for at DCVC is medical expenses because lots of our crime victims do not have the medical coverage to take care of what has happened to them and it's going to set them back and they're going to end up with this on their credit they're not going to be able to pay it so we try to offset some of that through the department of crime victims compensation and then we help with funeral expenses um, dcvc will pay up to six thousand dollars of the funeral expense they were reimbursed let me say that you have to first pay it in advance and then the family can get reimbursed. That's been very beneficial to our victims because lots of them have to go get loans to bear their family members, especially the young people who are killed. They never think in a million years that I need some life insurance. Young people think we're gonna live forever um, and it just doesn't happen like that. And so getting, the, getting them reimbursed is very helpful because some people are skipping bills to pay for funerals and they're getting loans to pay for funerals. And then we have Scabasa, who provides us with a lot of education. So we can seek our trainings through them so that we can continue to um, get our accredited trainings. And we have Safe Harbor, which is our local um, shelter here for domestic violence. Lots of people know about Safe Harbor. They've been around for a very long time. They help um, with shelter, they do community counseling, and they also have a transitional housing program. We collaborate a lot with the 13th Circuit Solicitor's Office. One, because that is a very confusing process for people. You don't know how many letters somebody will get in the mail about a case and they have no idea when they're supposed to go to court, where they're supposed to go, or should they even go. And so we help walk them through that process. And oftentimes they have to meet um, with the prosecutor that's assigned to their case and we'll go to court with them for that, we'll attend the meetings with them. We see this process through from the beginning to the end with them because once they become our victims, because we collaborate with other agencies, there's not a, hey, I'm just gonna drop you off 
if the other agency feels like there's nothing else needed from us, then we'll let them have. But if our victims say, hey, I want y'all there, then we're there for them. And then, of course, South Carolina Legal Services is a very big help. They help um, lots of these domestic violence victims be able to get divorces, handle the custody issues that they have. They also help with the eviction process. And if we have somebody who has been living off their credit cards because they can't get the money and they to pay their bills, and then now they've left the abuser. So now what am I going to do? So filing for bankruptcy, um, they also help with that as well. There is an income requirement for that, but they're very good about talking to people and informing them in advance of that service. We also partner a lot with Compass of Carolina. Compass of Carolina is one of the services that they use here in Greenville County for batters treatment and for anger management. We have Compass of Carolina and Ad Care. And oftentimes when perpetrators go to court for domestic violence, they are sentenced to either early on, either the anger management or the batters treatment. And both um, Ad Care and Compass of Carolina offers that service. We refer victims to Compass of Carolina because they provide free services, free counseling services to our victims and to their children. So, of course, they don't put the classes on the same day because they want to make sure that the victims are comfortable and be able to come and not be in fear. They do a very good job of um, following the victim's Bill of Rights. We have the Julie Valentine Center for any persons who are victims of sexual assault or any child abuse. Um, cases that we have, we often refer to Julie Valentine and we have a good working relationship with them. We also partner a lot with the Greenville County Sheriff's Office because sometimes we share victims or at other times, if they're not available to help a victim and we are, we'll help out or vice versa because it's our goal to get the victims early on so that we can stick with them. Because if we don't get them early on, we lose them in the process. Oftentimes we can't find them when it's hearing time or they change their phone numbers, they change their addresses, and we get calls all the time. Hey, do you know where so-and-so is? Do you know if we can find so-and-so? So when we meet with them first out, we tell them, please make sure that you keep your phone number and your address updated, either with us or with the solicitor's office. That way you are making sure that you are informed of any and all upcoming court dates and hearings. Now, oftentimes people say, oh, victim advocates. I mean, what do y'all really do? Once we get those victims in the very beginning, we, I don't want to say coddle because we don't, but we assess the situation as a whole and see where the gaps are and what we can do to make sure that their transition through this process is easy. And sometimes we have very good success. Other times, not so much, but it's the successful times that keep victim advocates doing the job that we do. Um, just to share a quick story with you, um, I had a victim come in with four children. She was married at 16 once to an abusive guy. Her mother signed her away so that she can marry this guy to stay out of the system. He was abusive to her and, and they had three children together. So she got away from him and of course she found another abusive relationship and she got pregnant again. 
So by the time she got here, she had four children. She was living in a home that he was in and that he had all the control over. So she came here and she did not know what she was going to do. But while I was interviewing her, her one of her sons was with her. And he said, Miss Rita, you see what he did to me? And so not only did the abuser abuse her, but he also beat the children. So we had, I had to make a referral to DSS. And I always tell victims, we have to get DSS involved because there's nothing more worrisome or bothersome than DSS show up at their door and they have absolutely no idea why they're there. So we tell them in advance, we, we have to because we're mandated reporters and we just wanna make sure that the kids are safe. We're not saying that you're a bad mom, but this is something that we have to do. So this victim had never lived on her own, never had a cell phone with a plan and never just been along with her and her children. So we were able to connect her with Safe Harbor and work with Safe Harbor. We were able to get a voucher for her to get Section 8 for some emergency housing. And we spoke with the Greenville Housing Authority, kind of helped speed up the process so that she could have her own place. She was also able to get ABC vouchers for her children so that she can go out and get a job. And she was able to get them into school and into a safe place with just them. So um, she still keeps in contact to this day. She makes about 18 bucks an hour, still living on her own, did not go back to the abuser. Kids are well, she's well. And she tell her friends, hey, she's referred her sister to us. She's referred her friends to us. And she's also referred a cousin to us to help get out of that um, abusive situation. So we do what we do because we love doing it. And we really um, enjoy helping people be safe, stay safe and become empowered individuals. And that's it. Thank you so much, Rita. Uh, that was a very um, impactful um, overview of what you do. And I'm sure there's a, it's hard to imagine, but there's, a, I know personally from, from working in law enforcement for many years that victim advocates do every single thing she just said, and there's even more beyond that. So they are extremely busy people and they have a wealth, a wealth of uh, resources that they are familiar with and they know how to put into action very quickly. So thank you so much for what you do, Rita. I appreciate, appreciate your time. And hang in there with us because we'll probably have some questions here um, after Ms. Tricia talks. So I'll, with that, I'll turn it over to Tricia. Great. Well, let me screen share. And um, and Chief, I'll apologize to you. I must have sent you an old bio. So one, I apologize for you having to read all that. And then two, but that gives me a chance to introduce what, what my agency. So here's my new job, everybody. So I'm really excited. Um, that was my fault. So I am super excited to sort of, um, well, one, and just shout out to Rita. Rita's one of the hardest working advocates in the state of South Carolina. So um, everything she said, uh, we're just so grateful for her. Um, but yeah, so I am super excited. So um, I, for the last four years, um, I switched jobs and I have been working at um, a statewide nonprofit agency called the South Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault. And I get the honor of working with um, team members all over the state. And so I'm going to try to give you guys a little bit of a viewpoint um, into what it's like to be to do victim advocacy outside 
of the law enforcement um, setting uh, and then how we work um, together. So um, I'm just gonna try to give you a little bit of framework and I'll try to get through it maybe more quickly um, and see how it goes. So one of the ones you, got, you guys know, our acronym is SCADVASA. So for those of our, our victim services and law enforcement friends, most of the time they remember that, but for all of you, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, uh, SCADVASA is our name. And again, so we look like a state agency, but we're really a statewide nonprofit organization. And there's one like us in all 50 states. So it's a huge federal funding priority um, and to recognize the need that there's um, a need to sort of coordinate um, victim services for this particular subset of survivors um, um, that are working in domestic violence and sexual assault. Scavasa, we actually have 22 formal member organizations um, throughout the state. Uh, we support the 13 domestic violence organizations and 15 sexual assault organizations that operate and work on the ground every single day um, out, out, of, out across the state. And because this is 10 at the top, um, super important for you guys to know. Um, obviously, Rita's already mentioned the ones that she works with, but for those of you who live in other parts of the upstate, um, these are the domestic violence agencies that serve our upstate. Funding is sort of distributed through DSS primarily, um, and our member organizations serve um, sort of the, the multiple, usually most of them serve multiple counties, um, and, and you'll sort of see those here. I hope you guys are all familiar with the ones um, that serve your community. Um, interestingly, our rape crisis centers or sexual assault agencies, uh, some are the same and some are different. So we have sort of some overlapping jurisdictions, but you guys can see the, um, the different sexual assault centers that work, uh, work really hard every day throughout the upstate. And again, I hope you all are um, familiar, you know, of course, Rita's super familiar with Julie Valentine Center because Julie Valentine serves um, the city of Greenville. Um, but um, invite you guys to to get to know your your teams. But I also wanted to honor what Rita just said, of course, because Scadvasa and Scadvasa's member organizations, we like Rita do not work alone. <laughs> um, and you know there are other uh, victim service providers that um, that are out there. Rita named um, quite a few, but we want to let you guys know that there is a network of not just you know nonprofit domestic violence and sexual assault organizations. But we also have an incredible network of child advocacy centers that work throughout the state. Um, and um, they like, uh, like, so we, we sort of serve as the statewide agency coordinating the domestic violence and sexual assault agencies, but the South Carolina Child Advocacy uh, Network uh, organizes this, what we call CACs. And of course, that we are here every day, just sort of uh, work across the state to um, support other nonprofits who might be in other types of victim work. Of course, our law enforcement and solicitor partners, as well as sort of a very diverse network of community partners. Because um, as Rita says, it is certainly um, a village of complex needs. Um, but I think we wanted to talk a little bit, uh, Chief Hamby sort of recognized it a little bit, but one really big difference is um, in this, in, in our community of victim advocates, uh, we have what we call system advocates and Rita um, is a system advocate. So she's employed by a law enforcement agency um, and does all of the amazing things that, um, that she described. And um, if you wanna be proud of South Carolina, you should. Um, so South Carolina actually has, a, as Rita said, a, you know, a Crime Victims Bill of Rights in our state constitution, but also has a fairly robust funding system that allows um, pretty much every police department, sheriff's office, 
Office of Prosecution, Department of Corrections, jail. <laughs> um, so we're really, we're really, really lucky in South Carolina to have funding for, for people like Rita um, throughout the criminal justice system. Um, but interesting, but for systems advocates, um, sort of from a statutory function, again, not to minimize all of the amazing work that Rita does, um, but you know, the primary focus of the system advocate is, is to help the help the survivor navigate the criminal justice system and its very its various component parts. Um, and the communications that that victims may have with um, law enforcement or systems advocates may or may not be confidential. Um, you know, it varies throughout the state on what different advocates are allowed to do. Um, and so you have that sort of focus. And of course, the, the survivor generally is involved with the criminal justice system in order to receive services from um, system advocates. Community-based advocates are largely employed by nonprofit organizations and are available to survivors throughout the state, regardless of whether they're interested in contacting or involved with the criminal justice system. So the sole focus of the nonprofit or community advocate is on the victim. Um, we do, of course, lots of the same things that, that Rita described, um, but can do it sort of outside the criminal justice system and in partnership with the criminal justice system, depending on the, the desires and wishes and needs um, of the survivor. Um, one thing I wanted to share a little bit about that we get a lot of questions about, um, and this, so one is like, what do we mean by victim-centered services? And Rita operates in the same way because I know her <laughs> um, every single day. Um, but I think uh, you'll hear in our world that we talk about how do we offer victim-centered services? Um, and so our, you know, we really focus in on um, listening, like having a survivor come in and talk to us about what it is that he or she is most concerned about today um, where do they think they're going to go in a month from now or, or beyond? And so advocates, again, whether they're system or community-based advocates, are really trying to listen to how a survivor is feeling about their safety, their privacy, the things that they just need, emotional safety, housing safety, financial safety. And we, we, try, we work really hard to connect them to the things that they need to, to have in place to just be stable and on their feet. And then of course, because we're talking about criminal justice system, you know, most survivors are really thinking about uh, what does it mean for my offender to be held accountable? For some survivors that can mean I wanna to report to law enforcement and I'd like to see an outcome in court and maybe that person go to jail. Other survivors may not be interested in the criminal justice system and are, and are really working on saying, I just want that person to acknowledge that they've hurt me and, um, and I want there to be some sort of personal accountability. So, um, so while system advocates are working with inside offender accountability models that work with inside the criminal justice system, um, those of us who work outside the criminal justice system uh, might be able to help the survivor uh, work through offender accountability structures that that don't depend on the criminal justice system. And then I don't know if Rita would, I think Rita would agree with me. I think we're also constantly working with survivors because you know the criminal justice system is imperfect, even on its best day. Um, and so we always want to give survivors all of these things and hope that they can find justice in a more broad way and not just defined by criminal justice outcomes, um, despite how hard everybody works every day. Um, the other thing that's sort of interesting about community-based advocacy is that uh, most of us are funded um, through funding sources such as the Violence Against Women Act, which is the VAWA acronym, the Victim of Crime Act, or um, the Family Violence Services and Prevention Act. Uh, one of the interesting and sometimes frustrating to our law enforcement partners <laughs> a quirk about what we do is that uh, when somebody uh, seeks services, whether they've been granted or denied, uh, we are not allowed to disclose 
that that person has even sought services from our agencies, um, even um, unless they're, again, there's a, like a court order or court mandate, um, the sta a statute mandates, like, you know, mandatory child abuse reporting, um, or the victim actually agrees in writing to allow us to talk to, to the other person. Um, so that, that, that can sometimes be interesting, but I think it, it offers a, we, we offer sort of a higher level of safety than some of our other partners because of this particular federal statutory requirement. Um, so that can be very reassuring to victims who might not be ready um, to report or concerned about their privacy and safety. Um, so just wanted you guys to know that. So in terms of like what we do, um, so, let's have, so I'm gonna try to quick little rundown about sort of like uh, giving you a snapshot it on a little bit more on the ground about the difference between us as a statewide agency that does not provide direct services to victims and our member organizations, which are examples of uh, victim service, nonprofit-based victim services organizations. So, you know, I think when we look at this, like so when survivors of domestic and sexual violence need help, um, really in, in the aftermath of a crime, sort of, as Rita said, Skedvasa is here to sort of support the professionals who are helping. So we provide training, technical assistance. So if we've got folks on the ground, again, whether they're system advocates or community advocates, our job is to help find the help help them find the resources they need for a survivor. Of course, our member organizations like Rita are every day, all day, uh, really working every single resource to provide safety planning, shelter, counseling services, um, and, and trying to make sure that there's uh, safety and stability. Um, and so there's a little, it looks like a little bit fuzzy, but this just, I won't read all these slides, but just to give you a little bit of a snapshot uh, between 2018 and 2020, um, these are the types of services that our member organizations provided throughout the state. Um, while you guys read that slide, I did want to point out a, some, a common misconception. I think a lot of people don't think of our domestic violence programs, especially as shelters only. And so a lot of survivors don't realize, you know, there are a lot of survivors who don't need emergency shelter um, or don't want to go into some sort of shelter environment. Um, but um, our domestic violence um, programs provide a lot of what we call community counseling services and partnership um, with the system advocates. Um, so just wanted to let you guys know that, um, that, you know, it's really domestic violence services, whether you're ready to leave your abusive partner or you left yesterday. Um, you know, we're here to receive calls from anybody who has questions and is thinking about it. And so I get a lot, we get that question a lot, like someone, a lot of people call us before they've ever made a decision to call law enforcement. So they're really thinking about planning and safety um, and they, they can call us um, regardless. Our sexual assault centers um, also, um, this, this is, these are sort of the services that they're providing um, throughout um, 2018. That's sort of our last kind of big year of numbers. Um, and of course our sexual assault centers um, like, like the system advocates might respond to the hospitals um, in the event, the aftermath of, of a sexual assault. Um, and then do a lots of, again, supportive services, criminal justice advocacy, um, and then can connect. And then in both cases, both sexual assault and domestic violence programs can refer um, victims to attorneys for, for any additional complex assistance. So the other thing I think what's really interesting in terms of it takes a village, it takes a village, that's what we're here today, is like what happens when the survivor needs the intervention of police, prosecutors, and judges? Well, Svadvasa is sort of strange, you know, it's sort of interesting because again, we work at the statewide level. So we work really hard to sort of work at with our statewide and regional partners 
um, to sort of how, you know, really work hard, how can we more effectively communicate with each other and how can um, we improve um, the response to survivors within the criminal legal system. Our member organizations on the ground, uh, like all of our system partners, um, are working really hard to build collaboration and relationships um, with the local prosecution and investigative agencies. Um, and we do that one-on-one. -on -one. We do that through all kinds of meetings, but we also have lots of coordinate, what we call coordinated community response teams. Um, and so those of you guys in the criminal justice system, we go to a lot of meetings. Um, we go to a lot of meetings to try to better understand one another. So um, for those of you who might not be in our world, um, this is a chance for the community to be involved too. So um, some of the uh, coordinated community response teams that are at the local level are open to the public, not all of them, but some. So I think that's how I first got into work. I was asked to join and come on board with the Domestic Violence Coordinating Council. Um, and so that's a, those are amazing places for not only victim service professionals and criminal justice professionals, but a broad range of community members to come and get involved. Um, and again, whether you're interested in a particular type of victimization or we, um, we actually support a lot of partnerships around that might be specific to certain underserved or specialized survivor groups. Um, so just to name an example, um, so at, at Skedvasa, we support consortium for colleges across the state of South Carolina to like address the unique needs of survivors on college campuses um, and then the communities there. Uh, we also, we work with the, the prison system to sort of address the special needs of incarcerated survivors through the Prison Rape Elimination Act task forces. Um, we support the South Carolina Immigrant Victim Coalition. We work with the South Carolina Indigenous Women's Alliance. Um, we work with ABLE South Carolina to sort of look at, um, you know, look at the different needs of survivors that might have disabilities or other special needs. And so um, that's sort of close to your heart. We can help you plug in um, and get involved. But I think that the biggest thing that we do, you know, I think every single day, you know, our goal is to sort of con continually improve the system within which we all work. Um, you know, Skevasa, we're, we're really blessed to work at the statewide level um, and support sort of the conversations around change um, that exists sort of at the, at, the, uh, at the other levels. But we also are really excited in partnership with our member organizations and all of our community partners. You know, our goal is to also sort of just, how do we work on preventing this victimization, especially interpersonal violence um, from the beginning? So, you know, really working on prevention strategies, um, both with statewide and local campaigns and and again, working hard to make sure that all of the services that we all provide collectively are, are trauma focused um, and informed. And I think, and I already hinted at this, but I, I just wanted to sort of reinforce um, what Rita was saying in sort of a different way is that uh, survivors of crime come, come to us from all walks of life, all sectors of our community, and I think this particular initiative that Tim at the top is doing is really trying to expand our recognition that you know, we are all trying to make sure that all members of our community are safe and respected and, and heard. And so by recognizing sort of the different groups in our community, we can also sort of decrease vulnerabilities to prevent victimization within these communities. You know, victimization is occurring. We hope that we and our criminal justice partners have developed relationships in advance of trust, because when those trusted relationships exist, we increase reporting and people reaching out for help. And of course, like in the aftermath of a crime, we want to, uh, Rita and I work hard to make sure every day that we're, we're providing resources that are 
relevant um, and important to each survivor um, in, a unique, in a unique way in which they come to us. Um, I don't know, Reed, if you wanted to say anything about this piece, because I think that we work hard every day to build <laughs> relationships across all these intersections every day. Um, so, uh, and I think we just wanted to, no, stop sharing um, to let you guys know, but um, you know, it's just such an honor to sort of work, um, have worked on the ground with, with, with folks like Rita for years and then get the opportunity to help um, sort of take a breath and also sort of think about how we can bring resources, not only to survivors who need them, but also to the professionals um, who serve them each, each day and work as hard as hard as they do. Okay, thank you so much, Tricia. I appreciate that very thorough um, and and uh, fulfilling presentation. Um, can you imagine if you were a victim of, say, domestic violence and 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 you're a young woman and you you need to get out and and distance yourself from the perpetrator? and you have absolutely zero idea of how to even start the process and you have nowhere to stay you don't have any money to eat with and you have an opportunity to uh to get the help of miss rita or miss trisha can you imagine how far in advance you accelerate in the process just by getting um some help from one of these two young ladies here so um uh, there obviously are a wealth of information a wealth of knowledge and have a strong command of, of the resources that are available. So I personally want to thank both of you for what you do. Um, with that, I will turn it over. We have a couple of minutes, I believe, to, um, uh, so Jim Shu, do you have any questions to relay from our listeners? You know, Matt, at this point, um, okay, I do see actually one uh, question in the chat. Um, now this might be, one that either Rita or Trisha could answer uh, from Evelyn Blakely. Do the services also apply to abuse against a vulnerable adult or child? Yes, they do. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a child, whether you're a vulnerable adult, whether you're middle age. The only thing that matters is that you're a victim of crime. And if that is the case, we will do our absolute best to assist. Um, so. Yeah, and just to clarify with us, you know, like from a Skadvasa perspective, you know, we're, we, we work on folks that are experiencing domestic family and sexual violence. Um, and so we're sort of a little bit more focused on the adult side, but of course we serve children. But again, I think as Rita would say, like there's a whole network of partners with the child advocacy centers, of course, vulnerable adults and children. We would also work collaboratively with um, Department of Social Services and their adult protective services units and their child welfare units. And so I think um, that to that particular question, it's sort of, that would even maybe expand the, the partnerships that we would, we, would, we, would, we would sort of bring in to wrap around that particular survivor. And they might be dealing with different complex systems right. um, there as well. Great, thank you. Um, Keisha, did you have a, a question as well that you wanted to raise? I do have a question, but I also have a testimony. Um, Two years ago, in April of 2020, I, I, I was just starting to work from home during COVID, and there was a shooting in my neighborhood, and my home was shot. Um, the bullet lodged into to my to the wall next to my headboard, and it really messed me up emotionally. And so I called the Victims Advocacy Program, and they provided me with resources for counseling. And, and, I, and I have to really say that it helped, because I was afraid for one, 
and I, I didn't know where to turn. I, I didn't know what to do. And so I can really say that it works. And um, so, you know, that's my testimony. But um, one of the questions that was in the chat was from Chief Hand, or sorry, or Sports Chief Handy and Rita. And they want you to talk about how victim advocates help law enforcement in the prosecution component of a case. Um, I'll take a quick stab at that, Rita, and then you can you can add what I what I've missed. Uh, so I know we're running out of time, but I will say that the uh, the experience we have with um, a lot of prosecution of crimes is that you know the 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 time that it takes to process a case all the way through the court system can be very lengthy, and sometimes that extended timeline, uh, the the longer it takes. I would say with all confidence that that also means the inverse relationship of how often the victims stay engaged into the prosecution process. So victim advocates play a very crucial role in establishing some sort of a relationship with the victims and a level of trust. So they, they, are, they can focus on staying in contact with the victims and keeping them encouraged and keeping them up to date so that they don't give up on this process of prosecution. So sometimes it literally goes on for months or even more than a year sometimes. So uh, their, their input on keeping the victims engaged uh, is priceless on many occasions. And lots of times, you know, people will say, well, the officer didn't talk to me that much. He didn't do this, didn't do that. But I remind people all the time that a law enforcement officer's job is to keep the peace and to make sure that the person that has harmed you is punished for what they've done. So then that's where we come in. And just like Chief Hamby said, we worked pretty much hand in hand because the victim will keep in contact with the victim advocate when they won't even keep in contact with anybody else. They will tell us things that they didn't even tell the officer. So then we have to tell the officer and it lets the officer know, you know what, I need to dig into that. I need to look into that. And so victim advocates, we, we just keep them there because what we know is if there's not somebody there making contact, we lose them in the system. And then the cases can't be prosecuted. First thing they'll do is get dismissed because we don't have a cooperative victim. Well, unfortunately, we are running uh, short on time. I do see a question from Stacy Rollins that uh, I think is a, a really good one. And I, I'm gonna, gonna ask uh, both of you to, to try to give me a 45 second answer. And the question is, uh, is there an area in the upstate where you think we have room to improve or an area where we need more growth to support victims or victim advocates? And I know that's a, probably a five minute answer, but uh, Rita, I'll start with you. And then with Tricia, uh, just real quick, uh, what, what is a, a, a area where there's uh, opportunity or need for improvement? Um, I feel like there is a uh, need for improvement for victims who have criminal backgrounds, because sometimes it's very difficult for us to get them into housing because of that background. So if we had more housing for people who had background issues, not you know just anybody, but a, a victim of crime, 
who had those issues, it would be very beneficial if we had additional services for them. That That is a place where improvement is definitely needed. Great, that's a, that's a great short answer. Tricia? Yes, I agree with Rita We're <laughs> on that. Um, and then um, I think from maybe coming up with a domestic violence, I think if I would say like, if I could snap my fingers and do two things for victims, it would be um, increase the accessibility of transitional and affordable housing in the aftermath of a crime. And, um, and of course I'm a lawyer. So it's also like continuing to increase access to affordable um, family law services um, for family violence victims. Um, in terms of the last part of that question, what can we do more to support victim advocates? Um, see us, see us a little bit. That's just, but I think really it's like, I think we find strength in each other and in the community when we do actually successfully collaborate and coordinate. Um, and so I think supporting our, um, the, the, again, the continued collaboration and communication, um, whether it's through a formal coordinated community response team or, or just sort of, you know, working to do that. So I think, um, I, I think, don't you think, Rita, I think like, you know, knowing that people see you and are there and there are relationships in advance of a crime occurring, it makes, it makes everybody's job a lot easier. Um, yeah. um, and the, the last thing I want to mention, because we talked about this in our pre-meeting, I think it's real important, um, you know, about if, if the result of the court case doesn't go in the way that a victim, ad, a victim would want, um, you all said in our, our previous that uh, you, you talked to the victims a lot about understanding that 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 isn't uh, necessarily the way you're going to get closure is through through the courts. Uh, can you real quickly talk about that? Because I think that's an important message that people need to understand that while you know we all want justice, sometimes justice has to happen in ways beyond just a, a court decision. Yes, sir. We I oftentimes tell victims that we cannot depend on the court system to basically make them whole. Um, so we work with them to find ways to empower them that is beyond them getting a certain response from the court. Because I've oftentimes asked if he doesn't go to prison, does that mean that you don't move on or that you don't heal? So we, we let them know right off the justice system sometimes give us justice, sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it gives us justice that we don't like. So we just empower them to, to be better people and to use the resources available to them, regardless of whether or not they get the justice that they feel like they deserve. Great. Well, uh, again, thank you, uh, Rita and Tricia, both of you and Matt and uh, uh, Keisha and, and Jim as well. Uh, this is a, you know, I think uh, uh, was a, is a great topic. And uh, as, as uh, both Tricia and Rita said, you know, kind of the behind the scenes piece that does not get uh, the, the level of uh, understanding and maybe notoriety that, that is, is given to uh, ensure that, that people who are being prosecuted get due, due rights. I think it's also important to uh, know that, that uh, there are people out there making sure that people who are victims of any type of crime and Keisha, you know, was a, a, you know, gave a personal testimony that I think is a good example of that. Um, you know, if, if you're, uh, 
in a situation you don't know what to do, there is someone out there who can help you. And I think it's very comforting to know that. And so um, I would encourage as we move forward, uh, we will be uh, sending out a recap with the link to the video. If you know other people that might be interested, I see we have uh, um, Anjanita, I hope I said that right, from Zeta Phi Beta Sorority uh, and uh, the Gamma Zeta chapter with us. Please share this video with others. You know, it's so important for people to know uh, what resources are out there. So again, thanks to our presenters, Matt. Again, thanks for all, all that you do to support this effort. Uh, as mentioned, we will have our final one of the year uh, coming up uh, in the uh, probably late November, early December, that will be more of an open forum. Uh, we will do that one in the evening and we encourage people uh, to again be with us uh, for that session. So thanks to everybody and uh, have a great uh, evening and we look forward to talking uh, with you again soon. Thank you.